that Jesus was led by the Spirit, it says, into the wilderness. So Jesus wasn't in the middle of Jerusalem or Nazareth. He was in a place that was wide open. And in the same way, we might not be led into a wilderness, like a literal wilderness, but you know that a wilderness season is a type of place where you don't actually know what's happening. Like, I don't know which way this is going. I don't know how this thing's going to work out. And all of us at different times find ourselves in wilderness seasons, don't we? There are many who say they're Christians, and many churches for that matter, who believe that Jesus sinned when he was on the earth. Maybe they think that a sinning Jesus makes him more relatable to people. Their reasoning is their own. But Pastor Daniel will be teaching about the Jesus of the Bible, who, although he was tempted, never gave in to the temptations, not even once. And that is how he can claim to be God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 4 as he begins his message, Jesus Was Tempted. So I've always said that that confession is good for the soul. It's bad for the reputation. I learned something, something I knew about myself already, but I saw it clear as day this week in such shining colors. I've always told you guys that like, there are some people who are really good at fixing things. I'm not that person. So if you ever see me carrying a hammer or a power tool, just run in the other direction because I'm just not good at it. So this week, our family decided that we were going to get a Christmas tree and we were going to put the Christmas tree up. And so, you know, we got the Christmas tree and we get it home and we have, you know, we have all the stuff with the tree stand. Like we've been doing this for a little minute, but normally in my house, I normally put the lights on the tree. And then once I get the lights on the tree, my bride, Lynn, who is the sweetest, kindest, most loving person in the world reminds me that I did a pretty lousy job at it. And she's not wrong because it's like normal people would put the lights on and there's a system to it so the whole tree is lit up. But I kind of hang out with my Annabelle and we just kind of like put the lights everywhere and there's like all the lights in one area and there's dark spots in the other area and anybody who's not me thinks it looks lousy. And so every year this happens and they got to pull the lights off and then we go through the whole thing and then eventually the tree looks good. And so Lynn and I, like everyone else, we're growing in our marriage so we decided that we were going to do the lights together. And it went flawless. I mean, you just see that we were there, like we would were, we were do, we do a round. I'm like, Lynn, just go take, get your perspective from over there. And then we'd adjust things and we did it. And it was, it came out perfectly. It was wonderful. I mean, Lynn was like, the lights have never looked better. And I was like, yes. So sure enough, the kids and Lynn and I were, we started putting all the ornaments on the tree. And then the tree fell completely over. Yes, like literally, like it just went, like the whole tree went up, like the perfect lights gone. And so you might say, well, why did the tree fall over? Well, because I'm dumb, that's why. So me being me, some people enjoy all the fix-it stuff. I just like, this is get the tree up and we'll be fine. And I didn't get all like the little branches off the bottom of the tree where it goes in the thing. And so the tree is in there and there's like, branches and so it's all crooked and right as someone put an ornament on the tree and they pulled it a little bit the tree just fell right over so don't judge me i'm being i'm confessing here 
I'm confessing here. So finally, like, I take the tree out of the stand, and there's water everywhere, and ornaments broke, and it was a whole nine. And I realized, and I'm like, ah, oh, and I'm like, I told her, I'm like, I'm sorry, babe. Like, I should have just taken five minutes to kind of get the saw out and get these things off of it. I just didn't feel like it. I didn't think it'd be a problem. And now it's going to take us way longer. And so, and then obviously we got it all back together. We got the light, and the lights look even better by God's grace, redemption. And everyone's happy, and the tree's up now. And But then a couple days later... <laughs> This is my life, you guys. Gotta pray for me. So, like, a couple days later, like, I'm talking to Lynn and Obadiah, and neither one of their garage door openers are working. But mine's working just fine. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry that it's like that. Probably, you know, we're talking about that. So I'm like, Lynn, I'll, I'll just give you mine. And Lynn's like, maybe we need to, like, buy a new, like, garage door opener. Because none of these remotes work. And I'm like, nah, we'll figure it out, you know. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't want to buy a garage door opener like and then finally like the light bulb in my head goes on it's it's pretty dim in there but it's like maybe there's batteries in the garage door opener so i go over to god's gift of google and i type in is there a battery in the garage door opener and what's the answer to the question yes except i never knew that before (laughs) so i literally we even have the right batteries for it but when i go to tell lynn i'm like Hey, sweetie, I have to confess to you. I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I have failed so famously as your husband. And I'm really like working this thing up. And Lynn's like getting nervous. Like I'm going to like drop a bomb on her, you know? But I'm just like, I am so sorry. And like you deserve so much better than this from your guy here. And I'm like, so I found out that what's wrong with the garage door open is that there's batteries in it. And she's like, oh, okay, that's so much better than I thought was what you could have told me in that moment. But then she said, she's like, so you're telling me all this time, all we need to do is change the batteries. And I'm like, yes, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's just not my gifting. Now I know for the rest of time that there's a garage door opener battery. And now in 10 years when it happens again, I know how to fix it. Because it's like, you just stick the flathead screwdriver in the side and you turn the thing and the thing pops open and there's a battery there. (laughs) But I didn't know it before. But what's so funny about it is... I'm sharing all this with you because not being perfect is the human condition. Nobody has it all together. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody is good at everything, right? And even the things that we are good at, none of us is like the ultimate who will ever be at that thing. And I bring all this up because the areas that we do not feel that we are strong in Oftentimes, we all are really nervous to be vulnerable about those things. We live in a day and age where everybody puts on these kind of masks. I have it all together. Like, you know, you don't, you don't know what the answer is. But I'll figure this out. But you don't have any clue how to do it. And we live in a world that when your flaws and my flaws are seen by people, oftentimes the people around us who have their own set of flaws and their own set of vulnerabilities, instead of them saying, oh man, yeah, it's okay. Like none of us are perfect at everything. We have a tendency to be put down because of those flaws. We feel not just judged, but we feel like we're seen and we're laughed at because of it. And really that is hard for all of us, isn't it? It's super challenging. And then what we do is we come up with all of these kind of coping mechanisms to try and figure out how to work around all of this stuff. But really, there's a different way for us to live. And it's a very honest, and that's why today we're starting a brand new series, our Christmas series that we're calling Vulnerable God. I'm calling this series Vulnerable God for a very specific reason. I say, tell me about God. You say, God is all-knowing, and God is. 
God is all-powerful. Yes, God is. God is the Savior. Yes, he is. God is omniscient, which means God is always everywhere. All the omnis. God is that. God is holy. Yes, God is. But almost nobody ever says God is vulnerable. But as we reflect and celebrate the Christmas season, the incarnation of Jesus is the most radical act of vulnerability in history. Think about what vulnerability means. It's the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. When you think about vulnerability, is a newborn child not the most vulnerable person? You think about the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross shows God's tremendous vulnerability. And what my goal is in this series, we're going to be exploring different areas in the life of Jesus where we see Jesus as the vulnerable God. And as we see Jesus in vulnerability, not only do I believe it's going to help us understand our God better than we ever have before, because I almost never heard someone say God is vulnerable. Because we always think of vulnerability as weakness. But the incarnation proves that the all-powerful God is willing to expose himself to the possibility of harm. And he actually chose it willingly for each one of us by his death on the cross. So our all-powerful, all-knowing, always, everywhere, holy God is also the most vulnerable. Because God is willing to be with us in our brokenness. And he, Jesus did that by taking on flesh and walking among us. And really what my goal is, is one, I want to see God as he is portrayed to us in the Bible. And people don't talk about this, so we're going to over the next bunch of weeks. But I also believe that it will help all of us to grow to be biblically vulnerable. Because we live in a world where the collective pressure of our imperfections is wreaking havoc on our society. You know that, right? We live in a world where everyone is flawed, right? But what happens is, is that when people who are, whether they're actors or politicians or athletes or people who are well-known, when their flaws are revealed, our culture attacks and devours them. But that's not only true culturally. It's like, look at your friend group over the last year or look at your family over the last two years. How much devouring has happened? Extraordinary amounts. And the reason we devour one another is because we have a gospel problem. Not that there's a problem with the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the lack of awareness of the reality of what the good news of Jesus means at street level as it relates to people who are flawed. And you have to realize the first step in the good news of Jesus is that God is perfect. And the second step is that humans are not. And then Jesus comes, enters the world to redeem flawed humans. But when we get redeemed, it never says that we're never going to do anything wrong again. So how we as humans deal with other flawed humans, when we devour them, it's a problem. The gospel is perfect. Our understanding and our application of the gospel is the problem. And what I believe that God wants to do is he wants all of our lives to be drenched with the reality of Jesus. Our lives should be drenched with the gospel so that as we interact and when we see people's flaws, when people fail, we think, 
How does Jesus deal with the failure of people? He loves them, serves them, helps them see the problem and also walks them through it, doesn't devour them. And so I believe that as we look at the vulnerable God of scripture, we'll also be able to understand how can we be more honest and authentic in who God made us to be, not only the good parts, but the parts that we're struggling in. Because when we're willing to be, let's just be honest, a relationship feels the most intimate when it's the most authentic, right? And the more masks you have to put on, pretending to be good at things or liking things and all these things, even though maybe we do it to keep the peace or make people happy, it never actually deepens the relationship, does it? It actually puts a wedge in between those relationships. And this is wreaking havoc all over our society. And so I believe that God is inviting us into a biblical vulnerability, but it will happen in the light of who Jesus is. So that's what we're going to do over this next month. I'm excited for it. So let's start with a great and challenging picture of the vulnerability of Jesus. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter four. We'll take verses one to 11 together today. Matthew four, one to 11. So if you brought your Bible, Open up, Matthew's Gospel is the very first book in your New Testament, the first of the four Gospels. If you didn't bring a Bible with you to church, there's Bibles on the seats in front of you. I want you to be able to pull those out. The New Testament's about the last quarter of your book. The first three quarters is the Old Testament. Matthew chapter four begins this way. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now we learn right away that Jesus experienced our vulnerability. The same vulnerabilities that we experienced, Jesus experienced our vulnerability. Notice what it says about Jesus, our savior. He was led by the spirit, something that we all want. The Bible says that if anyone is led by the spirit, they are one of the children of God. And so Jesus was being led by the spirit, but it's interesting that Jesus was led by the spirit. It says into the wilderness. So Jesus wasn't in the middle of Jerusalem or Nazareth. He was in a place that was wide open. And in the same way, we might not be led into a wilderness, like a literal wilderness, but you know that a wilderness season is a type of place where you don't actually know what's happening. Like, I don't know which way this is going. I don't know how this thing's going to work out. And all of us at different times find ourselves in wilderness seasons, don't we? Some of you are right there right now. We're like, I don't really know what's happening right now. I don't know how this is going to work out. Everything's up in the air and it doesn't quite make a lot of sense. So Jesus was led by us into the wilderness, but notice Jesus was also tempted by the devil. Now don't miss the fact the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now that's a deep theological issue, isn't it? But sometimes we have the tendency to think that all the spirit of God wants to do is lead us into our best life now. Or the spirit of God wants to lead us into more comfort. And I'm here to tell you, nowhere in your Bible does it say the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into more comfort. I mean, it's nice when it happens, but oftentimes you hear the Lord leading you in a certain direction and you go there, you don't even realize what you're signing up for. You're like, I had no clue. Because what the Spirit of God wants to do is to make us more like Jesus, not just make us an easy life. I know no one likes to hear it, but this is church. If you don't hear the truth here, where are you going to hear it? You're not going to hear it on the news. Trust me. (laughs) I just rolled that out there quick, didn't I? (laughs) But Jesus was tempted by the devil, who's the enemy of our souls. And I'm here to tell you that each one of us, like there is temptations for all of us. And not only was Jesus vulnerable by being tempted with the devil, and we're going to unpack that today, but it also says in verse 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. 
So Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. Now, I think about this. You know, fasting is when you go without solid food. And this was like before you could have an electrolyte pack. I got me some cliff bars or power bars. I got me some jerky. It's like when Jesus didn't, there was none of that stuff. So Jesus did not eat for 40 days. Now, I don't know about you, but if I don't eat for 40 minutes, I get hungry. Can I get an amen? Am I the only one who's there? Now, if you don't eat for 40 hours, you get hangry, right? Like, 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 at like 40 hours, you're like two days fasting. You're just like, I am unhappy. Like, do not talk to me. Like the sign on the door of your life says, go away, right? But Jesus fasted for 40 days. Now, it's great because the research that we have today kind of backs all this up. When somebody stops eating, you're hungry for a while if you're fasting. But then at some point in the journey, your body stops making you feel hungry because it's got much bigger problems. It's trying to keep you alive. And the research will tell you that at the point, especially at like 40 days where you get hungry again, your body is willing to use the energy to make you hungry because it's like, if you don't eat, you're going to die. So Jesus is hungry to the point of starvation. That's where he finds himself. And it's in that scenario that Jesus is tempted by the devil. Now, what we learn about this, because Jesus experienced all of our vulnerabilities, things like being led, being in a wilderness, being tempted, being hungry, and literally hungry to the point of dying. The writer of the Hebrews explains who Jesus is to us in this way. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What he's saying is that Jesus, as our high priest, he can sympathize with our weakness and he was tempted the way we are. The only difference between Jesus and us is that in the midst of temptation, Jesus did not give in to that temptation. So he was tempted yet without sin. See, our problem is that we're tempted And then we give in to the temptation and we live outside of what God has for us. But the reason Jesus came, what we celebrate at Christmas and ultimately his death and resurrection is because Jesus was tempted in all the same ways as we are, yet he never displeased his father by giving in to that temptation. And he says, because Jesus can sympathize with our weakness, we can come boldly to the throne to find mercy and help. See, our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses and our temptations should not drive us away from Jesus. It should drive us to the arms of Jesus because there's no temptation that any of us have ever experienced that Jesus doesn't know intimately and personally. So our vulnerability, our awareness of the potential of harm that we can do to ourselves and others given our temptation should be something that invites us closer to Jesus. But what the enemy of our soul does, it uses those things to drive us away from Jesus. And oftentimes he uses people when we share our vulnerabilities to drive us away from Jesus. And it's the exact opposite of what God has for us. So we're going to look at these three temptations that Jesus experiences at the hands of Satan. But what I want to tell you is this. Satan is not super creative. And Satan pretty much tempts all of us the exact same way. And what's amazing is, is the way Jesus is tempted, the three temptations, run in exact line with the same way that the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And I would go so far as to say, you want to see our vulnerabilities? We're going to see it in these three areas of temptation. Now, I get these three buckets, these areas of temptation from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 
I'll read it to you. You might want to write it down so you can meditate on it later. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Those are the three types of temptation that we all experience. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I'm going to explain it to you. Now, what's interesting, if you want to write it down, just write down Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 in your margin as well. Because in the story of the fall of Adam and Eve, we see Eve giving into these three temptations after the serpent tempted her. Her and Adam gave into it based on these three buckets as well. And you'll see it. So it's just, you're taking 1 John 2.16, you're putting it over this section of Jesus being tempted, and you link it up to Adam and Eve and their fall. Don't miss the fact that when the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the second Adam, Adam was in paradise, was tempted and fell. Jesus was in the wilderness starving to death, was tempted and didn't fall. So when the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the second Adam, this is what he's talking about. God's man who didn't fail but succeeded and redeems. Isn't that powerful? I just gave you like a deep theology lesson in like three sentences. I hope you realize how like when the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam, it's so powerful what it actually means. Okay, now look at what happens here. We'll look at the first temptation. It says this in verse three. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the first temptation we have is the temptation from what the Bible calls the lust of the flesh. The tempter comes and he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the Messiah, if you are the promised one, the savior, then command that these stones become bread. Now, This is the temptation for the lust of the flesh. Why? Because Jesus was hungry and starving to death. Did you ever see someone when they haven't eaten all day and then you put a meal in front of them? We just did this yesterday with my 18-year-old, Obadiah. Like he was hungry. It was like he was like an animal. He's like, you know, he's like just shoveling it in. So this temptation, it really boils down to that he was hungry. Now, the idea of the lust of the flesh, I I need to talk about this, because the word lust in our culture always denotes sexual desire. But the Greek word literally means a craving or any passionate desire. It doesn't have to be good or evil. It's anything that there's intense cravings of. Some of your new translations have the word desire in there. But really it says that there are these cravings, these wants, these desires that are very real. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad, but this is called the lust or the desires of the flesh. Now in the same way, when we think of flesh, what do you think of? You think of skin. The Bible defines flesh differently, and literally the flesh in the Bible is our nature that wants to live in rebellion against God. It's us doing things without God in our own way. The idea of Jesus sinning, of giving in to temptation, seems silly because, well, he's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He can't do that. But Pastor Daniel showed us today that to think that way does a disservice to the humanity of Jesus. He had to go through temptation in the same way that Adam did and rely on the truths of God's word to show us that it was possible to do. And he gave us the template for success in resisting temptation. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you 
you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk about an aspect of vulnerability that Jesus displayed that many people even people who call themselves followers of Jesus have difficulty doing. The story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus is pretty well known. Pastor Daniel is going to talk about Jesus' love for Lazarus and his sisters and how Jesus' willingness to display that love was risky for him to do. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Vulnerable God next time. Until then, may God bless.